Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Known for being punctual, so yeah, that's no, that's definitely. I don't think anyone is punctual anywhere, um, yeah, true, basically. But I, yeah, none of my friends are ever on time for anything, and I'm almost always late as well. No, but three minutes is fine, even if you needed a few more minutes. Francesco and I were just here talking about Inter Milan, Lautaro Martinez, so we could be talking about this all afternoon, I guess. For ages. I'm sorry to interrupt, Fra, I'm sure you're still on cloud nine. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited, yeah. I'm quite excited. <laughs> 11 years without anything, so now I'm, I'm full. Yeah, but there's a lot more to talk about than just Inter Milan. I know, sadly. Sadly. (laughs) Manchester City and Chelsea in the Champions League final. Who would have bet on this final at the start of the season? We're back with the One Football Podcast to talk about Champions League semifinals, the finalists, and a very busy week in Italian football. So, I'm Joana Bueno, replacing Ian McCourt. And today, with me, I have Francesco Portio. Hello. And Luis Ambrose. Good afternoon. Thanks for coming, guys. So, even though we were already talking about some Italian football here, I'd like to start with the Champions League semi-final because that's closer to us, let's put it that way. Inter Milan won their title a few days back, so Manchester City 2, Paris Saint-Germain nil. At the start of the season, we could definitely bet on at least Man City being in the final, but I don't think anyone bets um, that this much superiority when they face Paris Saint-Germain. Luis, what do you think happened there? Were Man City just too good for them? Or was like PSG just missing Mbappé or maybe a bit disorganized? What do you think? Uh, both. Both things. I think if you think back to like September, October, the first few months of the season. I think everybody was thinking that the Premier League looked mad and it could be three or four or five teams in a title race. And since then, Manchester City have just run away with it. They've been basically flawless since October or so. So going into the tie, I think the same as Dortmund in the last round, we knew that PSG were going to basically have to be perfect to knock Man City out. I think they were really good for 45 minutes in the first leg. And if they kept that up, but it would have been an enormous task to keep up that level of performance for 90 minutes for both matches. That was basically what was needed. Um, And to try and do that without Mbappe for half of the entire tie, I think was basically always going to be impossible. I also got a little bit of the impression that Mbappé might have been injured already or at least in pain in the first match because I was actually discussing that in the Brazilian podcast. That was the worst performance I've seen by Mbappé in a long time. So do you think maybe he was already playing with a little bit of pain there? That's why the first match wasn't really his match either? Maybe they they took that little bit of a risk with him because obviously, you know, it's a Champions League semi-final on the other hand, I think we I think we have to give some credit to City as well. They're, they are just that good. And we saw it in the previous round and how they basically kept um, Erling Haaland quiet for Dortmund for pretty much the entire 180 minutes, except for one or two half chances. And we basically saw it again. Right now, this season, so far, nobody has come up with a way to hurt this Man City team. 
Yeah, very well put. And and you were saying that Paris Saint-Germain was actually better in the first 45 minutes of the two matches, uh, actually of the first match. And they did start the second match better also, but then in minute 10, they got a goal. And I think it was just down here from there. From there. Uh, in Brazil, we're always in a bit of a doubt of who's better, who should wear the number one in, in uh, shirt in the Brazilian national team, if it's Ederson or Alisson. And this season, I think we have no doubt as who's better, who's in a better moment this season, don't you think? Yeah, Alisson hasn't had the greatest season, obviously. He's had some personal issues, problems that he's had to deal with off the pitch as well. And I think especially for, I think for every player, but especially for a goalkeeper, it's so much easier when the rest of the team is doing well and the rest of the team is dominating. And now we see last season, we probably would have said the same thing the other way around. Man City weren't that great and Edison had a few iffy moments. And now you can probably say the same thing. Um, Liverpool in front of Alisson haven't been that good this season, that impressive. And obviously then he's just way more exposed the one thing that I think you can't question is who's better with the ball and the pass that Edison produced for the first goal, for Mahrez's first goal on Tuesday night was just absolutely ridiculous. And it's it's such an incredible weapon for a team like Man City. You don't even just have to worry about the 10 outfield players, but the goalkeeper can pick out a quarterback style pass like that. It's completely ridiculous. Yeah, that was actually uh, Guardiola's one use this as a reason to buy to, uh, Ederson, to justify buying him and paying so much, saying exactly that, like, he's a great goalkeeper with the with his feet and, you know, with the ball, not just defending, so uh, I guess he was right. In the last, actually, after the matches against Bayern, I praised Neymar a lot, and I'm usually very critical of him, because he did put up a, a, quite a performance, but this week, he was clearly trying to decide it on his own, to be the guy trying to carry Paris Saint-Germain to the final. He actually said that. We're going to, we're coming back with the victory dead or alive. So it obviously didn't work. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I I, I don't know if, if what Fra thinks as well. I'd be interested to hear because I think Neymar <laughs> is such an interesting guy. I felt like without Mbappe there was even more pressure on him to try and deliver. And basically, the only way PSG were going to win this, I think, is if Neymar took it on, on his shoulders and carried them to victory himself. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. The thing is, when we, when we talk about football, we, we, we have to take in consideration that it's not an individualistic sport. So uh, sometimes, you know, it can work to, like, it was, like it was for Bayern Munich or... And sometimes it c cannot work, and that was the case. But I, I, I honestly don't blame too much Neymar because uh, you know also the fact that uh, Mbappe wasn't there, that PSG is not they're not doing in a great shape right now. I think he couldn't do so much on his own. And uh, I, I, I mean, I understand that there is so much pressure on him because of the character he is, but. It's very difficult to say, okay, it's his fault if PSG didn't go through to the final. And I think it's a wrong uh, take. Yeah, yeah. But he did try to, you know, put the pressure on his own shoulders, I think. Take over the pressure and didn't really work. But I completely agree with you. I actually think that the biggest problem for Paris Saint-Germain 
uh, most seasons, but especially this, is the defense. And not really the defense itself, because Marquinhos, as always, was amazing. But the lack of fullbacks and functional fullbacks that can attack and defend. I mean, I don't even like Bernard, but he's injured. He didn't play most of the season or the whole season, practically. So they put this Dutch guy, 20-year-old Bakker, who didn't even play for the first team in Ajax. Then he didn't, obviously, he didn't perform well against Manchester City. So for the second match, Mauricio Pochettino, Pochettino opted for Diallo, who's never even played in the left back before. It felt like Paris Saint-Germain was playing with 10 men. They didn't really have the speed also because Mbappé was not there. This seems to be a recurring problem with these expensive, rich teams investing a lot in the attack or even in the midfield, the creation of the plays, but not enough in the defense. Do you, do you agree with me, Francesco? Um, well... I don't know if all the, as you said, rich teams, because if you think about Manchester City, uh, they, they spent a lot of money in the last years uh, talking about centre-backs and left-backs and right-backs. But talking about PSG, I totally agree with you. Uh, I was very nicely impressed by Florenzi, who is a player I know really well from, from here, from Italy. He played for Rice Roma, he played in the national team. And to be honest, he was really good for Paris Saint-Germain this season. Way better than what a lot of people and myself included expected. Um, for sure, there is a there is a lacquer in that position, and I think that they will go for 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 a left back in, in the next transfer market. Um, and talking about Paris Saint Germain, they 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 focus the last transfer window uh, most of the time on on strikers, on, on midfielders, uh, and of course they need something, uh, something especially in the, in, the, in the wings right now. And uh, yes, I agree with you. I wouldn't say that that's a, a general problem of, of all the big and top clubs. Uh, it's more, I think, an issue that Paris Saint-Germain has right now. Okay, and, and talking about the strikers, what do you think of Icardi's time in PSG so far? <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, as you know, I'm a big fan of Mauricardi, so I, I, I will never say that I don't like Mauricardi. But uh, I, this time I have to say that wasn't his best performance, okay? Uh, no, the issue about Icardi, I think it's, it's very simple. Uh, he needs to play in a team where... Uh, he's the he's the real number nine. He's the one that you know receives a lot of passes, crosses, uh, and that's not the case of Paris Saint Germain at least this season. Uh, not because of he's not an important player, but because he's not central in the project, and that's we, we can say that uh, even if he scored important goals in Ligue 1 in the last weeks, um, I think I never seen him playing for Paris Saint Germain for a long time. To be honest. He, him going to, to France, to Paris Saint-Germain, was a way to, uh, to left Italy because of what, what his end with Inter Milan uh, looked like. He needed a change, but I think he in the future will come back to Serie A and maybe also this summer. Okay, and, and what about the, the season Paris Saint-Germain has been having so far? Uh, it, I mean, out of the Champions League, but still in the semi-final, I mean, not bad, but... One point behind uh, Lille in the Ligue 1, three or four matches to go. If they lose the Ligue 1, do you think that's a season that we can call a disappointment? Yes, I, I, I think yes, uh, because Paris Saint-Germain uh, uh, 
they, we always expect Paris Saint-Germain to win and uh, failing to win the Ligue 1 will be, will, be, will be an issue. I think that that wouldn't change and as Leonardo said very clearly that will not change the future of Mauricio Pochettino because I think that will be uh, not a nice move uh, let's put it this way because of course you, you change it during the season uh, and changing a manager during the season is always complicated I don't think he has a lot of uh, responsibilities uh, talking about the season Pochettino uh, so I think uh, he deserves to continue regardless the end of the season. Yeah, definitely. Well, on the other hand, the guy that left Paris Saint-Germain and was replaced by Pochettino is in the final. So, Luis, how happy do you think Thiago Silva and Thomas Hummel were after Thomas Tuchel were after last night's match? Because you could see them talking with a little bit of a smile, but how 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 did that final went through with them? I think there's I think there's probably obviously on Thomas Tuchel's part especially a bit of vindication and proof that he was not necessarily in the wrong at PSG he was always butting heads with Leonardo and you have such a difficult situation I think with PSG when you have Neymar and Mbappe and then as the coach you can't be it's impossible to be the most important per, uh, person at the club so all of the politics get involved as well and I think that can be a real problem for a coach. Tuchel is a coach who likes to control everything, everything on the pitch, things next to the pitch as well, off the pitch. So I think Chelsea's just a better fit for him. And I don't know, I'm sure there's a part of him that would quite quite enjoy if they'd be playing the final against PSG and... He could maybe prove them wrong and stick that knife in a little bit further in the final by winning it. Um, and also because I just think Manchester City are, are maybe a tougher opponent than PSG this season. On the other hand, I'm sure there was a little bit of a smile um, on Tuesday night when City were the ones that went through. Yeah, well, it will be interesting to see a final between Pep Guardiola and Thomas Tuchel. Also because Guardiola said in, I, I think, that book about his passage through... Um, Bayern Munich, that Thomas Tuchel was the best new coach coming out. So, do you think do you think Pepe Guardiola is happy to find Thomas Tuchel in the final? Uh, no, definitely not. They know each other really well from the time in Germany. Um, Tuchel was was in charge of Mainz and then in charge of Dortmund for the final season that Guardiola was in Germany. And they he took a sabbatical during the second year, and they spent a lot of time together, meeting in restaurants and talking about football and. It's fair to say that they both made big impressions, I think, on each other, not only Guardiola and Tuchel. So there's quite a close relationship there already as a respect, but also a knowledge of, of each other's game. we already seen Chelsea knock Man City out of the FA Cup just a few weeks ago to reach the final of that competition. Now they play again this weekend. It's also probably, I imagine, not ideal situation and ideal preparation for such a big game like the Champions League final to then play an opponent that you're playing three times in the end in the space of about six weeks. And I reckon that both of them would quite happily do without that. Guardiola for sure has... I mean, it's you know he, he just faced Pochettino as well, and that was a, a big test. But I'm pretty confident that he would have preferred to take Corden, Real Madrid and Zidane instead of meeting Chelsea and Tuchel again. 
I was actually cheering a little bit for that final because, you know, Pep Guardiola being very symbolic for Barcelona and Zidane the same for Real Madrid. It would be nice to see them facing each other, even if they didn't face each other as coaches of both teams in the Clásico. But not sure this will be a bad final <laughs> anyway, so let's wait and see. Well, before the match, we were actually writing one of these articles that you compared the starting 11 of Real Madrid with the starting 11 of Chelsea. And Mateus from the Brazilian desk asked me, Tony Cross on Golo Kante? And I couldn't really give him an answer, also because they have very different styles. But after last night, I guess we all have the answer, right? Kante in both legs, I think it's probably the two best games he's played for Chelsea, or at least since his first season at the club. Um, It's quite ridiculous how well he played in both games and again we saw that uh, Lampard and, and Maurizio Sarri as well when they were in charge at Chelsea were criticised so often in England for playing Kante not as the deepest midfielder not as the holding midfielder and again we saw he is not a holding midfielder you don't want him just sat in front of the back four the guy is he's better on the ball than people give him credit for uh, but more importantly, he has this crazy engine and this crazy ability to cover ground and cover it quickly and cover more ground than anybody else probably in football right now. Why the hell would you limit him to just playing in front of the defence and not give him the freedom to apply pressure further upfield, to carry the ball further upfield? And we saw it with the first goal. The, he He's the one who drove the ball forward. He played the one-two. And that was what created the, the the entire attack, pushed Chelsea forward to score the first goal last night. So I think finally we can stop talking about N'Golo Kante, hopefully as just uh, a number six, a holding midfielder who just does all of his best work defensively. You also have to defend further up the pitch. So just saying that he's a defensive midfielder, it doesn't mean that he should just stand in front of the, the centre-backs and clean up in front of them. He's a player that can move forward and it is, like you say, it's basically the opposite to Tony Cruz, who is so slow and cumbersome and covers such a limited amount of space. It, yeah, I mean, it would be quite interesting maybe to see them together one day. Um, I, I doubt that we'll see that at any point, but you can easily, I think, swap Cruz with Jorginho and the way he played for Chelsea alongside Kante on Wednesday and it's a, it would be quite the partnership. But if you had to pick just one of them, I think it would it would have to be Kante. He's, he's basically unique. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him. And ever since uh, in Leicester, he was already like playing a lot of good football and then went on to Chelsea. But I do think he might be playing his best football alongside Jorginho. Do you, do you think that, Francesco, that Jorginho gives him that, that freedom to go a little bit further down? Well, you know, he's not, he doesn't have to stay stick in front of the defenders. Yes, absolutely. I agree. I agree with, with you and also with what Lewis was saying. And I wanted to add that uh, this, um, let's say, new Kante, new version of Gol Kante was the one that Antonio Conte had in mind for him at Inter Milan. But then he didn't go to Inter Milan. Uh, I remember when... Conte arrived at Inter, and uh, we will talk about Inter later, but uh, uh, he asked for two players, basically. One was Romelu Lukaku, and the other one was N'Golo Kante. And that's because he really wanted him to do what he did yesterday with against, uh, against Real Madrid. That's how he was seeing 
Kanté for a different role for the future, and that's what we are seeing right now. And I think that's, as Luis was saying, it's the best version of Kanté we could possibly imagine. And finally, we talk him as a more complete midfielder than just a number six, and that's amazing. Yeah, and, and I also think that this Chelsea that we are seeing with Thomas Tuchel has a little bit of Antonio Conte on it. That's, you know, the three defenders, Nicolo Conte a little bit further down in the pitch. Do you think that too? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't see, uh, let's say, on the pitch, I see a lot of comparison, as you were saying. Off the pitch, uh, I, I think Conte is a bit more chaotic and aggressive <laughs> <laughs> than, than Tuchel. Let's say that there are different characters, but of course, uh, from a football side, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Do you also have the same impression that I do that Real Madrid already went too far this season? They already stretched the season, you know, the best they could. They had a lot of injuries all year long. They practically played without a left, uh, a right back most of the season. They had COVID. I mean, Hazard, I, I can't even talk about Hazard. I mean, he didn't even play a full match or two full matches if you add up all the minutes that he's played. Do you think that this is already enough for Real Madrid? I mean, I agree with you. Uh, of course, a club like Real Madrid, every like we were saying before, Paris Saint-Germain, there is always the perception that if you don't win, it's a failure. But in this case, I agree with you. I think they did an okay season. Okay, it wasn't amazing, but uh, wasn't even bad. And uh, they are still fighting for a Liga. They got to the semi Champions League semi-final, which is... Okay, they didn't win it, but it's not even a bad result at the end. And um, there are a few things that Real Madrid need to figure out right now. One is the position of Zinedine Zidane, because uh, it's unclear what will, his future will be. Uh, and that's something they need to understand, because otherwise it's impossible to, um, to, to, to plan the next season. So they need to, to, to do that as, uh, as soon as possible. And another one is, you, you mentioned it, uh, Hazard, and that's for sure a, a player that we should discuss about. But I, f I feel that Real Madrid needs a, need a change right now uh, in terms of new players, uh, uh, new faces. They need something different. And even Florentino Perez said that a few weeks ago uh, in an interview. And I think they need really to do that this summer. I don't know if that is because they want to buy Mbappé or another player. But apart of the single names, they need, they need a new cycle. They need, they need something new. And I feel that uh, now it's the time to do it and, uh, and they have to do it. You were mentioning Hazard and I think last night the Zidane put Hazard from the start maybe a little bit on the expectation that he was going to finally make his 120 million euros worth something and save Real Madrid, put them in the final. Then he put Hazard on the left side and Vinicius had, had been playing the whole season on the left side and was getting better throughout the season. On the right side, Vinicius didn't play anything, Hazard didn't play anything. Was that a bad decision by Zidane? Um... I mean, at the end, yes, because okay, they didn't they didn't win, so it was a bad decision. But if, I he, also... if he had gone right, everybody would say, "What a genius!" Right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So after, it's very easy to say that it was a wrong move. I feel that Hazard didn't have to demonstrate his value yesterday because he didn't 
he didn't show it in the last two seasons. So it's not one game that changes the perception of a player, in my opinion. Uh, he, for sure, he needs to also understand what, what they want to do with him because uh, after the smile of yesterday against the after after the game, uh, I saw some TV shows El Chiringuito in in, uh, in Spain that they didn't really like it. Let's say let's put it this way. And uh, you know how Real Madrid fans uh, uh, right now think about Hazard, and um, I don't see him uh, turning around this situation. Yeah, he was a little bit too in the happy there. Yeah, I understand that he he met some old friend, an old uh, teammate, but you can do it that also inside the the, the dressing room, right? Why yeah, doing exactly. why doing live on where you know where everyone is watching you. That happened actually. Actually, there was the same thing that happened to Donnarumma uh, two weeks ago uh, against uh, after the game against Lazio, where he was smiling with Pepe Reina at the end of the game, and you know you shouldn't do that. I completely agree. I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the World Cup 2010. Brazil had that amazing squad with Ronaldinho, Adriano, Ronaldo. You know, we we thought we were gonna win without even getting in the pitch and then Brazil got eliminated by France with an amazing Zinedine Zidane and after the final whistle Robinho who was new in Real Madrid just ran off to to hug Zidane and jumped on his lap it you know you just got eliminated from a World Cup even if he is your friend you should yeah. just keep it down a little bit yeah yeah but i understand also the players that you know they, they 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 do that but they should be more careful especially right now where everything you do it's under the radar and uh, you you know there is no way to hide it yeah if i if i can just add something as well uh when you mention about real madrid needing a new project a new direction at some point you know, so many of these players are so old. Um, they're the guys that have won these three or four Champions Leagues a few years ago, but they're all in their 30s now. The most amazing thing to me when I look at this, and I do also see a team that needs a new impetus, a new direction, younger players, something fresh. The craziest thing is we watched last night and Vinicius Jr., as, as you mentioned, Joanna played right wing back because Carvajal is injured and they don't have a right wing back. And this club had, uh, and we're going to speak so much about Inter yeah. later, but this club had Ashraf Hakimi yes. a year ago. And I cannot, I didn't understand why they sold him at the time. And I still cannot understand. This guy is going to be one of the best fullbacks in the world. He can play on both sides. He's going to be one of the best fullbacks in the world for the next decade. And Real Madrid let him go for probably half his actual value. It's It yeah. was completely I- insane. I also had Theo Hernandez on the left. Yeah. <laughs> if you yes. think they have Theo Hernandez on the left and uh, Akimi on the right, and they will be fine for the next 15 years, probably. Yes, yeah. on the left, it's still okay because, you know, Mundi has done a good season. He was injured and he didn't do his best match. He was coming back from injury. But on the right side, they definitely missed Hakimi yeah. <laughs> the yeah, whole yeah. season. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. Well, Luis, what did you think that Thomas Tuchel did that Frank Lampard couldn't? Because it's a completely different team, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think we saw... So in the final, I think we have two coaches who really take care of every detail. And I think on Wednesday, we watched the match between two coaches who are completely at the different ends of the spectrum. With Zidane, who 
isn't so detail oriented I would say as a coach tactically and you know he he picks 11 players he picks a formation and that's almost the extent of his impact on the match Uh, you know he will change the shape of the team and things like that but you know how it is with Guardiola or Tuchel how explicit and detailed and controlled they are with the the players and the way they go out I think that's the difference really between Tuchel and Lampard. I think Lampard never either understood or managed to get the team in a place where they could control a match. It, and it doesn't matter how good the opponent was. Everyone had a chance of beating Lampard's Chelsea last season. Uh, last season, they had the most goals Chelsea have conceded in a Premier League season since 1997. They had either defensively, they had no control but going forward they also had no control of the match they it would kind of be they would score goals because the players are talented and not because Lampard has them running certain plays or playing in certain positions or moving in certain ways that get them closer to the goal or get them moving the ball in a way that's dangerous and then when they lost possession there would be two centre-backs back on the halfway line and they were in huge trouble on the counter-attack. What did we see last night? Chelsea comfortably in the lead for a lot of the game. Every time they lose the ball, there were four or five guys on the halfway line. Real Madrid never had the chance to, to break and to hurt them. So I think we've seen a Chelsea team under Tuchel that with and without the ball are really organised they're really hard to break down. It's hard to get the ball from them. And when you do get the ball from them, they aren't wide open. And for me, that's the huge, huge difference. And I think it's something I would say about Guardiola's team this season as well, is this is obviously a really, really impressive and successful Manchester City team. I also think it's the least entertaining Guardiola team I've ever seen. (laughs) I think there's so much concern about the counter-attack that now there's even more focus than there was last year on keeping the ball because if you not because you need the ball to score but because if you have the ball the other team can't score so yeah. they keep the ball they cycle possession and then if they lose the ball there are three or four guys blocking the middle of the pitch and it's again what we saw with with Tuchel and Chelsea it's it's quite similar i think there's that solid back five and then when they go forward you have the, the the speed of Timo Werner, you have the talent of Kai Havertz, the wing-backs get really far forward, and they're dangerous. They're more than dangerous enough to score one or two or three goals in every single game. If you have that in combination with a team that's really hard to score goals against, then they're going to be in with a really good chance of beating anyone, and I think that's why probably if we want a close final, this is probably the best result that we could have had, that it would be Chelsea against City. I liked what you said about this being Man City, uh, the, probably the least exciting Guardiola team. It le- reminds me a little bit of Barcelona in, you know, under Guardiola in the 2009, 2012, 13, up until, up until 2012. And the Spanish national team, that was pretty much Barcelona, but were boring. Yeah, know? it was Barcelona without Messi, right? Like, And I think especially... He- Sorry to bring up the memories for Francesca, but the Euro 2012, I think the only game when Spain played well was the final. And otherwise, it was boring. It was keeping possession, not not having the ball as a way to score, but as a way to not concede. And this is 
what I think we've seen a lot more of from Man City than usual this season and even more of that from Chelsea too. And by the way, that was the only the game that Italy didn't play well. So, <laughs> Yeah, that is true. <laughs> But before we get, before I ask your guesses for the final, we have a Man City Chelsea this weekend for the Premier League. Like you were saying, Louis, like three matches in six weeks. That's going to be kind of a trial final, or do you think that you know Man City has already one hand in the cup? They're not really caring about it. What What are your guesses for this match on the weekend, and then your match, your guesses for the final, Louis? You go I, ahead. I think we'll see. At the weekend, I think we'll probably see Man City rest some players. Chelsea still have to play to, to and really go for every game to try and finish in the top four. Um, and they don't have the easiest run. And they have an FA Cup final to think about as well. So it's a little bit tricky which which thing Tuchel will prioritise. I think that they'll, they'll go for it and they'll try and beat City again. I think there's a little bit of a psychological element where they already beat them in the FA Cup semi-final, then you want to keep that over them and you don't want to let them win and you want City to come into the Champions League final thinking they haven't beaten you in the last two games or the two games since Tuchel took over. But then, on the other hand, you have this situation where if Guardiola saw something from that FA Cup semi-final that he wants to exploit is he going to go into the weekend thinking this is a chance to test it or is he going to want to keep that sort of in his back pocket for the final not let Chelsea know what he might have up his sleeve so it'll be quite interesting I think because City have as good as sealed the Premier League I do think we'll probably see a bit of rotation and a Manchester City team that doesn't go all out for the win and leaves something left in the tank. And what about the final for the Champions League? Who do you think has, you know, who's the favourite? I, I, I'm not a big fan of European <laughs> games when the, the two teams from the same country play each other. Um, I, oh, you, were I not, would... you weren't happy with uh, an English final? I mean, as an Arsenal fan, I didn't want either of these things in the final. I mean, so well, there might be uh, two English finals, and your Arsenal yeah, might be on it. So yeah, it could be. It could be two, like it was two years ago as well. Both of the yeah. European competitions with all English finals. Um, but I think not only the English. Like I think when any for any of the teams basically in Europe play each other, I think it's a bit of a shame. We already see these matches, and they know each other so well. It. It takes something away, I think, from how special the games can be, and we've seen it quite quite often in Europe. But if uh, I think it would definitely be a close game, I think there's maybe only going to be one or two goals. But I just think City are, are too good on the big occasion that they'll get it over the line and finally, from, from their perspective, finally win the Champions League and Guardiola again for the first time in ten years. And what do you think, Francesco? You know, I agree with Luis. I was saying exactly the same. Guardiola is waiting. 10 years for, for playing another final, Champions League final, so I think um, he's not going to miss this uh, opportunity. Uh, on the other hand, I was uh, very impressed by Chelsea, totally, uh, I'm totally honest with you. I wasn't expecting Tuchel to be that good already in the first season, and, uh, and for this reason I was confident for the semi-final yesterday, actually, I was thinking that they were the favourites, actually, but for the final, I think City they have, uh, I think they have something more than, than, than Chelsea. And while the Champions League finalists were being decided, Jose Mourinho signed with a new club. And it's not the, uh, a club you would expect, let's put it that way. IS Roma. 
Francesco, you're always on top of every transfer news. Was that a surprise to you as well? Because I was completely caught off guard. Okay, uh, it was shocking. It was shocking, totally <laughs> shocking. Uh, I have to say, okay, I don't wanna, I don't wanna say I knew it because I didn't know about Mourinho. Uh, I have to be totally to be to be honest with you. Uh, let's say that uh, we knew that Sarri wasn't that close as people were saying, and. We also knew that they were going for a international manager, so something you know, something that could uh, be very big, and also because it's the first manager uh, chosen by the new property, the new American property, by the uh, Fredkin family. And uh, when Jose Mourinho was sacked uh, one month ago, uh, I wrote in a WhatsApp group with some friends uh, from Roma, actually, uh, guys. Watch out for Mourinho because, you know, he's free. There is the Thiago Pinto, who is the sport director, is Portuguese as Mourinho. So it, make, it made sense totally. But I didn't know that it was actually happening. So I have to be honest with you. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see Mourinho back in Serie A. Uh, it's probably the only place where now we are excited to see Mourinho back, uh, back <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a bench. But we are really excited as a whole. I think also it gives... a even more value to Serie A again uh, because more people will be interesting on watching AS Roma especially with, uh, with Mourinho on the bench uh, will be interesting to see how he will do you know Roma uh, I don't know how confident you are with the Roma culture but uh, it's a very complicated place to be it's a very very complicated place to be uh, journalists are you know very they put a lot of pressures pressure on the team uh, think that there are at least six or seven radio stations just oh about Roma. Oh my. So, radio station I talk about Roma the whole day. That's it. And, and they need something to talk about. And they need yeah, and Mourinho. And Mourinho, Mourinho, Mourinho is, is the, the king of content. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, so, to be honest, uh, there is no place that excites me more to see Mourinho coaching in Italy more than I say Roma. Uh, you know, with what he has done with Inter Milan 11 years ago will be in the history forever. So nobody takes that away for Inter fans and also for, for Italian football. And But now this is very exciting. And to be honest with you, I'm expecting a white or black. So that means that I'm expecting him like to be sacked in October or to win the Scudetto. <laughs> so I, I don't expect something different. Uh, yeah. Do you both do you both find it a little bit fishy and classic Mourinho that it was finally after eleven years somebody wins somebody else wins the league with Inter and then he steals all of the headlines one day later? <laughs> yes, it was very Mourinho. That, that. that that's very Mourinho. I can tell you that Mourinho was uh, desperate to go back to Inter two years ago uh, when. Uh, when 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 Spalletti uh, when when Inter Milan decided to sex Spalletti, but more than sex Spalletti, they were going for another manager. Let's put it this way: uh, Mourinho was really desperate to 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 go back to Inter Milan, and Inter Milan chose Antonio Conte. And you know the relationship between Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho wasn't amazing for 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 a few games in uh, in the Premier League. So I think that uh, there is also some kind of, you know, I want to demonstrate that I can be 
good somewhere else in Italy. Uh, last week he said something, uh, uh, something like, uh, "I will have any, I don't, I don't have any problem on coaching another team in Italy that it's not Inter Milan." And then I think was a signal that he was coming back to Italy. Uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen in 48 hours after Inter win the Scudetto. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, but that's also very boring. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, Luis, do you think that's a good fit? Because I've always thought that Roma was the most offensive or at least, you know, tried to be the most offensive of the top Italian teams. Ita Italy being known as very, you know, not a very offensive football. And Mourinho, as you know, not a very offensive coach. Do you think this will work? I, I don't think it will work. Not because I don't see necessarily the fit between uh, Roma and, and Mourinho, but... Because I, I don't think it will work in the to the level that it used to anywhere for Mourinho ever again. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the one that he needed. He needed to go back to Italy. Maybe that suits him better. But after watching the the tribulations at Manchester United, then again at Tottenham, I I just think that 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 touch has gone. Um, I think football has moved on from Mourinho a little bit and he hasn't moved with it. And we heard a lot when he was appointed by Tottenham, you know, that he wowed them in the in the interviews, that he expressed new ideas about football, changing the way that he'd approached before. We heard that when he went back to Chelsea for the second time, obviously he won the league in the first season and then was, and then left, uh, sorry, in the second season and then left in the third uh, with the club below mid-table. We heard again that he was a changed man. He was not the special one anymore. He was the happy one because he was home and he he was where he belongs and he wanted to make a, a go of it long term and not get into arguments with people at the club and the players anymore. And what did he do? He won the league and then got into arguments with people at the club and the players. And at Manchester United, he couldn't help but have issues with Luke Shaw and with Paul Pogba and... Juan Mata again and then again we've seen the exact same thing happen now at Tottenham with Deli Alley and yeah I I find it really hard I think this he cannot avoid or he struggles so much to avoid this confrontation and I think footballers nowadays compared to when Mourinho emerged they don't respond to that kind of confrontation the way that maybe they used to Uh, even if he turns me, I agree with you, uh, Luis. Uh, I have to say, for most of the things you said, I want to add few few things because you know I'm very sensitive on the Mourinho topic, as you <laughs> as you know. Um, no, I agree with you. The thing is, the the key here will be, uh, you know, Roma play a, a very offensive kind of football right now. Actually, uh, with Paolo Fonseca, they 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 changed a lot the way of playing. And uh, so, and the, the issues they have uh, are in defense. So, Mourinho have to bring uh, actually what it's his strength to to as Roma right now. And uh, but they also that's what he should have done with Tottenham last year and didn't really work. So uh, that will be interesting to see how he he brings his kind of football and adapts it to Roma because Roma right now. They had a lot of injuries. Uh, okay, now they are not doing great in Serie A, but Paolo Fonseca did a very good job for us at home, I have to say. And two things, very quick, I want to add is uh, the, the Roma board right now are asking to Jose Mourinho not to win immediately. And that's the first time that happens in Mourinho's career, probably. And that's something very good for him, I think, because he has nothing, you know, he, he's at first place where he's not asked to win the first year when he arrives. 
and maybe a bit more of relax from this side can help him to, to go back to, to, to his level. And uh, they ask him to bring the winning mentality, so maybe also on the transfer market, so like giving more appeal to the club. And, uh, and I have to say, we, I, have to say I, I lived in Rome for two years. I have a lot of friends there, so I, I talk with them every day. And I never seen them so excited about something uh, connected to Roma uh, in the last five years. Uh, and that's very, very good for them. And uh, if, he, if, he, if he reaches uh, a minimal level, or like a winning, he will be considered forever as one of the best coaches in Roma. Because Rome is one of the places where if you're loved, you're loved forever. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, we've seen in this nine years of Juventus dominance in Italy that in the beginning it was always Roma challenging Juve, you know, in the second place. Then it became Napoli. Roma went a little bit, a really little bit downhill. Do you think that with Mourinho they can challenge Inter Milan next season? They can challenge for the title? By the way, uh, <laughs> challenge Inter <laughs> for the title means congratulations. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So so happy about it. But uh, no, I wanted to say what, about what you ask. Uh, Roma, they are really one step close to, to, to the Champions League uh, place spot. And I think they can do it with Jose Mourinho. I don't think they can be title contenders especially, but we see what they will do in the transfer window, but uh, it's difficult to, to reduce that gap uh, in one season, uh, very, almost impossible. So I would say they can do it in a few years, but right now, first step will be to go in the Champions League spot, and I think they can do it with Jose Mourinho. Regarding Inter Milan, uh, it was a nice week in Milan, I have to say. And uh, I have to say that Antonio Conte did something incredible, uh, amazing job. Inter Milan didn't had didn't have a um, a very easy season, especially outside the pitch with the Chinese property having some financial problems, with players uh, also uh, having some issues regarding uh, regarding the club. And um, so I think the fact that he made everything. Uh, everyone fighting for the same thing, for the same uh, uh, goal, uh, made Antonio Conte one of the best manager right now that there is for me. At the turn of the year, AC Milan was, you know, way ahead in the table, unbeatable. They had actually been unbeatable for quite some matches because uh, since they changed their coach in the previous season. What exactly was the turning point for Inter in the season? Uh, I think there were two turning points. Uh, the first one was the actually the elimination from the Champions League uh, group stage because there was a moment where uh, Conte and the team, uh, they talked to each other and said, OK, we failed in Champions League. We did, uh, we did not do our best. And now we need to restart from zero and uh, going back to... Um, reshaping some also tactical ideas and starting again and so that was the first turning point because the team didn't collapse after that and they actually started to win game by game and the second one in my opinion was um, was actually uh, Inter Lazio who was uh, the game was played uh, I think middle of February before the Inter derby against Milan uh, because in that game was the first game where Eriksen actually played from the first minute in a different position. 
and that was, I think, something that changed the season for Inter Milan. And then, of course, also winning against Juventus in January was important because after nine years of Juventus monopoly in Serie A, now they realized that they could fight and beat them. True. And I'm a big fan of the Lukaku-Lautaro duo. And actually, I'm a big fan of attacking duels because I grew up in the 90s. You know, <laughs> there wasn't such a thing as a 4-2-3-1. It was always a, attacking duels. There was no Falso Nueve back in the time. <laughs> no Falso Nueve. That was just, you know, invented by Guardiola in my culture. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of them both, actually. And... In, in this football that we see nowadays, very little people would actually put these two very strong strikers putting, playing together. But they work and they clearly have worked already. You know, last season they had already a great, great duo. But this season was a little bit more on Lukaku's, right? I mean, wasn't Lautaro's best season in Inter? Um, well, I'm a big fan of Lautaro Martinez, so I, I will never agree with that. <laughs> so, but I, I'm uh, a big fan of him as well. I just think that Lukaku was the, you know, stole the spotlight. Yeah, okay, that, that's for sure. That's for sure because Lukaku is a is a player that uh, was totally dominant in Serie A, and but not also by scoring goals, but also the way he plays. Uh, uh, I love how Antonio Conte describes him. Antonio Conte says that he's an American football player that has to play f football. Uh, and I think it's a very nice uh, definition of him because when he, when he has pace, when he has, uh, he has no limits, he has, uh, from a physical point of view, is uh, unbelievable. But Lautaro Martinez is perfect for him because together they do the job uh, that, it's need, that they need to do and they are perfect together. I can see someone else replacing Lautaro and being uh, as good for, for, for Lukaku and also the opposite. But I think, uh, I know that it's Lautaro and Lukaku are the, the most uh, important players probably right now for Inter Milan, but we, we mentioned Akimi before and we have to talk about Akimi for a second because Akimi was unbelievable this season, especially... Uh, especially as a as a winger, as a offensive winger, because he was a, another striker basically that Inter Milan had, and so many games were solved by Akimi, and also from uh, from the the one who played on the on the left side, who is most of the time Perisic, but also Darmian, who is a player that. Uh, Lewis know that didn't do really well in, in Premier League in Manchester United, but it's super useful for Antonio Conte. And he's the kind of player that uh, uh, every team needs to have at the end. Um, I know that there are some Manchester United fans probably here that are thinking, wait, you're talking about Darmian, the same guy? Yes, I'm talking about him. And uh, I also would like to mention uh, Bastoni, who is a very good young defender, and I think we will hear from here a lot in the next years. I was about to finish this podcast asking if there was any other moment or any other highlight from Inter that you would like to mention, but I guess you've done it already. <laughs> yeah, I've I done everything. So uh, no, I, I would like to. I just just want to 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 end this part about Inter Milan, uh, saying that uh, I'm not sure that Conte will stay next season. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure about that. We'll see. Uh, I think he will he will have to talk with the with the club uh, in these weeks and then decide what to do next season. And uh, but it would be a very bad thing for Inter. It would be a pity to see him leaving after two seasons. But 
we have to take in consideration that uh, the, ch- the plans are changing because of the financial situation of COVID. So if they decided to not go together, makes sense for both parties probably. Well, that's a pity. That would be a pity because I would love to see yeah. him stay. He's done a great job in Inter. I'd love to see him take this team forward, take this team further. But then against Mourinho, we need and Antonio Conte would, against Mourinho. And I would love to see Conte Mourinho again in the same <laughs> the same league. That would be very interesting. Yes, yes, yes. So let, let's hope that that happens next season and we can we have a lot more to talk about in the coming podcasts. Yes. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you.